You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're welcoming back to Workplace Perspective, Southern California attorney Peter Stockberger. Peter is a partner at Denton's, practicing with the firm's global employment, intelligence, and strategic services, and data privacy groups. Peter's joining us today to talk about cybersecurity, why it's important, and how to help protect your organization. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome back to Workplace Perspective, Peter Stockberger. Thank you very much, Teresa. Pleasure to be here. So, Peter, before we get started, why don't you just remind our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, absolutely. Well, my name is Peter Stockberger. Uh, As you mentioned in your introduction, I am a partner with the law firm Denton's. For those not familiar, Denton's is the world's largest law firm. So we have offices all over the world, all over the United States. I manage our San Diego office, and I do have a unique hybrid practice of employment law and cybersecurity, data privacy, and AI law. So years ago, when I was doing both practices, people looked at me kind of odd, and now it turns out the interplay between all of those practices is pretty common, so it's it, it comes in handy. We're right. <laughs> you knew it would pay off, right? That's right. Crystal ball. <laughs> okay. Well, let's jump right in. So I want to start out first by sort of giving our listeners a little bit of context with regard to cybersecurity. So why don't you give us just a little bit of an overview of why it's such a critical issue for employers? <laughs> Absolutely. When we when we use the phrase cybersecurity, we are referring to the types of controls an organization have in place from a technical perspective and from a process and procedural perspective to keep certain information secure from unauthorized access, disclosure, loss, deletion. The type of information that you want to keep secure really depends on the type of organization you are. So when we're talking about data in the employment context, one of the most important pieces of data you want to keep secure is the personal information of your employees, of job applicants, of your independent contractors. And so employers are sitting on a treasure trove of sensitive information about their employees, a benefits file, an HR file about an investigation, social security numbers, financial account information. All of that is highly valuable data to the bad actors that are out there searching for ways into the organization to steal the data, monetize it, sell it, steal someone's identity. So cybersecurity is the practice of trying to secure that data. And what that looks like for every organization looks a little bit different. If you're a 
very large company with tens of thousands of employees, your cybersecurity program is going to look a lot like Fort Knox and you're going to have sophisticated programs. If you're a small business with five employees, you don't need the Cadillac version of cybersecurity, but you still need to be training your employees, understand what the risks are. And cybersecurity is becoming a more critical piece for businesses because we are increasingly becoming a digital, paper-free, device-driven workplace, if not if we're not all, already there. So the more devices you have, the more connections to the internet you have, the more you have data in a digital form, the higher risk you are to a cybersecurity attack. Because the, the bad actors out there are using AI, they're very sophisticated, and what they do is they basically scan the internet and they look for open vulnerabilities. They look for open connections that are not secure. And that's how they get in, steal the data. You may not even know they got in to steal the data. So keeping an eye on these practices, understanding what your risk profile is, understanding what controls you currently have in place, or more importantly, what you should have in place, I think is becoming an increasingly important component of the HR function of any organization because of the sensitivity of data that you're sitting on. And we're no longer sitting in paper file rooms. Everything is digital. Everything's online. Everything's being done by email. So that's why, in my view, cybersecurity just continues to become an important component of the HR function. It's just boggling, you know, the way that the ways that you can feel vulnerable and what happens and you have so little control over what the majority of your employers are doing when it comes to online activities seemingly no matter how hard you try. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of what laws employers need to be aware of. So when they're trying to, we want to arm our HR people when they go back to their team and they're talking about this issue that they have a little bit of context as far as what their legal requirements are to secure the data that they have and, and all these other things that might impact uh, the workplace. Within the United States, we do not have a single federal cybersecurity law that applies to all 50 states and applies to all organizations. Instead, cybersecurity from a legal standpoint is highly balkanized by industry, by sector, by state. So I'll start at the federal level. At the federal level, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, is the main regulatory body that enforces good or bad cybersecurity practices. And they do so under the FTC Act, which governs interstate commerce. And so if you are a business doing any business across state lines, you're going to be subject to the FTC's jurisdiction. And Section 5 of the FTC Act prohibits unfair or deceptive business practices. And what the FTC does is they hold companies accountable for not having adequate cybersecurity after a data breach. And they'll say, you are not maintaining what we consider reasonable security controls based on the sensitivity of your data. Therefore, it's an unfair business practice. Therefore, here's your penalty. So that's at the federal level. If you are in a regulated industry like finance or healthcare, there are additional cybersecurity rules at the federal level under, for example, the HIPAA cybersecurity rule, also the Gramm-Leach-Bliley safeguards rule, which governs financial institutions. So at the federal level, we have a general FTC principle, and then we have sectoral cybersecurity laws, depending on an industry that you're in. Where most of your listeners, though, Teresa, will get 
be subject to a legal standard around cybersecurity in the HR is at the state level. Virtually all 50 states have a law on the books that says if you are in the possession of or you control the personal identifiable information of a resident of our state, you must maintain reasonable security around that information. And so it's specific to personal information. And the way most states define personal information is its name plus something highly sensitive, like driver's license, social security, bank account plus password, something where you could steal the person's identity and obtain financial gain mostly. So almost every state says you need to maintain reasonable security around that data. And if you don't, you could be hit with a lawsuit where they allege negligence. You could be hit with a regulatory investigation by the attorneys general of any of the 50 states or sometimes the district attorneys. So the ultimate question there is often, well, what is reasonable? (laughs) That's where I was going to (laughs) go. That's the magic question. And the states generally don't give you an answer to that question, but I'll give you some examples. Reasonableness in cybersecurity is highly contextual to the type of business you are and the volume of data you have. California, for example, in 2016, then Attorney General Kamala Harris issued a report in which she said baseline reasonable in California for any business is aligning yourself with the cybersecurity framework known as the CIS controls, which is the Center for Internet Security Controls. This is a framework that was developed by a private group. And when I refer to a cybersecurity framework, this is a framework of 18 or 20 controls that you should be measuring yourself against. So things like, do you have multi-factor authentication? Do you have a password policy? Do you have an incident response policy that you're testing against? Do you encrypt your data? And so California says, if you want to be considered reasonable in our state, you need to measure yourself against that cybersecurity framework. Every business right now can go onto the CIS control website, download a copy of those controls, and go through it like a checklist and say, are we hitting these standards? Are we missing anything? Is there a gap? So that's California. Other states have come out and said, baseline reasonable in our state is aligning yourself with the NIST cybersecurity framework. NIST refers to the U.S. National Institute for Standards and Technology. It's an arm of the U.S. Department of Commerce. In 2014, NIST came out with their own cybersecurity framework, very similar to the type of framework that the CIS controls are. And NIST said, if you're a federal agency, you need to align yourself with this um, framework. So lots of different frameworks out there. The states are all vacillating on what reasonable is, but I think bottom line takeaway, Teresa, is pick a framework, align yourself with the framework, and you're going to be in a pretty good spot under most state cybersecurity laws. That's great. We'll make sure to put both of those uh, links to both of those uh, on your episode page so, page so people can find them and reference them. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get more on Peter's thoughts about the importance of cybersecurity and some actual tips for additional tips for protecting your organization. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Don't let biased algorithms or degree screens or exclusive professional networks or stereotypes. Don't let anything keep you from discovering the half of the workforce who are stars. Workers skilled through alternative routes rather than a bachelor's degree. 
It's time to tear the paper ceiling and see the stars beyond it. Find out how you can make stars part of your talent strategy at tearthepaperceiling.org. Brought to you by Opportunity at Work and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with employment law attorney Peter Stockberger about cybersecurity. So, Peter, with with so many people working remotely now, are there any sort of unique challenges uh, that employers face? And are there any possible legal implications associated with remote workers? Yes, I think remote work introduces a number of unique challenges that you wouldn't otherwise be facing if everybody was in the office sitting next to each other. And really the number one risk that remote introduces, remote work introduces, is access control. Is people downloading information to their local drive or accessing data they shouldn't have access to or printing it out and not keeping track of it? It's really this access control issue. And that's where you see a lot of organizations get in trouble legally, is that too many people have access to sensitive information. So limiting the universe of people who can see sensitive data is a very important control to have in place for any organization. And that's hard to monitor when everybody's remote. So you end up having to rely on technical controls, uh, guardrails, firewalls, alerts, um, that you otherwise would have more of an in-person control if somebody were in the office. The other major threat that remote work introduces is the insider threat becomes increasingly more difficult to monitor. And this is if you have an employee or an insider who is disgruntled or is looking to exfiltrate data and go to a new a competitor, that's harder to see and monitor if somebody's not right in front of you. Now you're relying on information or technology to show data flows coming out. So this person downloaded a lot of data and sent it to their personal email address. Well, you would be able to tell in person if somebody was not really doing their job and was sitting there by themselves making some weird moves. Remote work makes that a bit more difficult. So common challenges that are always there, I think they're just amplified with remote work. Is there a, a any tips or something that you could provide employers on. It's really interesting how everything works. Like you can put one thing in place and you think you're great. Like, okay, so we've set up our system. You can't uh, put anything on a flash drive from your computer. But if you don't set up a limit on what somebody can email from one computer to another computer outside of the organization, that control is not useful, right? So is there anything that, is there any way to, to help employers think about how they can test these checks and balances or put those guardrails in a little bit better with so many working parts? I would say training and consistency are your best friends. And training should be often, you know, it should be frequent, it should be staggered, and it should be very tailored to your workforce. You know, off-the-shelf cybersecurity training modules that you get from online vendors or training vendors are good, but maybe they're not specific to how you do business and how your employees work with information. So I think training and creating a culture that demonstrates security is important 
and getting buy-in from the workforce that security is important, keeping data secure is important. I think that's really often the secret to success around cybersecurity. Most employees are not doing things for a nefarious purpose. They're doing stuff out of convenience and because they just want to email themselves something so they can work on it from home. Unless they're being told that's not good because that can introduce real risk to the company and you know you don't want to be the person who's responsible for the data breach that causes this company to incur thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages. Most folks don't want to be that person. And so they're going to work hard to try to align with policy. But if they don't, if you just write a cybersecurity policy and you never train against it and you don't remind folks of it and you don't annually require people to read it and sign off on it, very difficult to enforce because we're all busy. I mean, most people don't read the handbook, <laughs> even though I'm the what? one who writes it, and I think everybody reads every word that I write. <laughs> it's like it's like the online privacy policies that I draft for clients. I know nobody reads those. Nobody clicks on that link and reads my excellent prose about sharing data through third-party cookies. So that's why I think making it very accessible to folks, boiling it down to basics, explaining the ramifications, the, the reason why you're training on it. And then also doing that training kind of in unexpected ways, using creative strategies like gamifying, training, making it entertaining um, for the employees is all important because a lot of it's just psychology based. It's just trying to get people to align with, with policy. That is the secret of cybersecurity. And that's really the number one threat employers face. It's lack of training and employees clicking on the wrong link, uh, getting hit with a phishing email. That's the easiest way for a bad actor to get in and the most frustrating because it's you're down to, you know, you're you're as strong as your weakest link within the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And those phishing emails just keep getting better and better and better. It's amazing. In our last few minutes, I want to address one thing that I think might be on our listeners' minds as well, and that's privacy rights of employees. So can you talk a little bit about balancing that need for uh, protection from the corporate perspective and the employee's view? Certainly. So I, I do think it's very important to keep separate in your mind cybersecurity principles and privacy principles, because cybersecurity refers to the controls you put in place to protect certain data. Privacy refers to the rights that individuals have over their data. And similar to cybersecurity, we do not have a federal U.S. privacy law that applies to all organizations. Instead, it's highly state-driven. Most states have a law that says folks have a reasonable expectation of privacy in certain areas of their life, and if you invade that privacy, you can be liable for a tort, for a violation of privacy. Historically, employers have protected themselves against those types of invasion of privacy claims by putting in their employee policies, their handbooks, you do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in your work email, in your work device, in anything you do while you're at work. So that's pretty typical. And that's an important disclaimer to make for employers because you want to be clear about where the expectations of privacy are. Where that area of privacy gets a little murky is when people are using personal devices for work purposes and the employer, for example, wants to image the device for an investigation, and you've got a lot of mixed messages, personal and business, on things like WhatsApp or in iMessage. So that can get a little 
um, dicey. That's one area of privacy law. These historic uh, privacy rights employees have that employers can mitigate by making clear where the expectation of privacy is. On top of that, we have in California specifically, we have new privacy rights under the California Consumer Privacy Act that gives all California residents who are employees and job applicants certain rights over their data if their employer is a covered business under the law. And that includes a right of access, a right of deletion, the right to opt out of having the data sold. So if you're subject to the CCPA, you have to make sure you're providing adequate notice. You've got a privacy policy in place. So that sort of complicates the picture. And layered on top of that, you have states like Illinois that have unique privacy disclosure requirements around biometric data. So the bottom line is for employers, privacy law is becoming increasingly complex. The way to think about it is privacy law governs when and how you can collect personal information from your employees and how you can use it. Cybersecurity law tells you what you're supposed to have in place to protect it. And so the two go hand in hand, because once you collect it and start using it, you have to make sure you're doing so in a secure way. So you can get in trouble as an employer on both sides of the coin. You can have great cybersecurity, but if you're not providing adequate notice and getting consent where you're supposed to, you could be violating privacy rules. Vice versa, if you are giving appropriate notice and collecting data, but then you're throwing it into a database that have no controls and you have lax cybersecurity, you could still be held accountable on the security side. So that's that's how I think about it is privacy versus security. That's awesome. That's a great way to look at it. Great explanation. So in just as we wrap up the show today, do you have any additional cautionary words, uh, words of wisdom, any thoughts for the future on the subject? My words of wisdom would be don't sleep on cybersecurity. Don't assume it doesn't apply to you because you're a small business. And if you are a medium or larger business, don't assume that what you have in place is working because often what you think is working, there are gaps, threats continue to evolve. So keep it basic. Look at the data you have, map it, understand the sensitivity, and take it step by step to think about what's practical and what's reasonable uh, from a security standpoint. All right. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming on the show again. We love having you on. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom on this subject. We really, really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. You can learn more about Peter by visiting www.dentons.com slash en slash Peter dash Stockburger. You can also connect with Peter via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James and the Name at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Bersaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar. 